Wow, what a powerful song. Just to be reminded of the great I Am. We've been talking about love. Love's a fun topic to talk about at the same time. Uh, love is sweet. Love can also be sour. Uh, love is costly, but yet love is free. Notice uh, the, the tension between the two. Love is, feels good. Love also can hurt deeply. Um, real love is it's in limited supply, I'm afraid. At the same time, it shouldn't be. It should be an infinite supply because love is of God and God is love and God is infinite. And so if you tie those together just to, in a, philo- a philosophical frame of mind that if God is infinite and, and love then is of God and therefore love should be an infinite supply, then just kind of do the math on that and you come up with infinite. Uh, you come up with limitless. You come up with ongoing. But yet, it tends to be kind of messed up, misconstrued, misunderstood. I think about Tina Turner and her wild hair and also her, her understanding of, of love. And, and she said, this what's love got to do with it. It's just a second-hand emotion. I'll tell you what, if, if, if love is just a second-hand emotion, I really don't want anything to do with love. Um, now, teenagers, this is what the kind of music your parents grew up uh, listening to. So if they give you a hard time about your hair, then just remind them of Tina. Uh, but uh, anyway, but even you ask a, a, a Kenny Genovese uh, in a murder that happened in New York City a number of years back, obviously, but a sad, sad tale of love or the lack thereof whenever she was beaten and mugged in a back alley in New York City. Uh, and when the police arrived on the scene and investigated the situation, interviewed the people behind the, the situation and those who saw the witnesses, they interviewed 38 eyewitnesses and asked them why were they not helping out Kitty Genevieve get out of this. They did not want to get involved. Again, what did I say? Love is messy. Love is costly. Love hurts. It's limited. Yet it should be one of those things that we have in abundance. It should be sweet to give and to serve because why? God is love and God is infinite. And therefore, in all of His infinity, in all of His, 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 His limitlessness, then we ought to understand that God wants us to love as He is. Now, and I, and I come back to this, kind of a, this should be kind of the first message in the series, but it's actually the closing of the series. And the reason why I'm kind of giving this kind of foundational talk, because I really feel like we need to keep going with this. Again, when you're studying infinity, it takes infinity to understand it. But we're just going to move on from here. And just hopefully that the series ends, Loving Local actually goes on. In fact, I'll say this. I have a quote out of my, next to the Bible. It's going to be in my top ten list of books of must-read. is a book by Peter Scazzaro, and it's called titled Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. He said this, We recognize that loving well is the essence of true spirituality. In essence, what he's saying, if you overuse the word essence, if you don't love, you're not spiritual. There has to be, it has to be, if God is infinite and God is love, there has to be an infinite supply of love inside of you. Now, whether or not you have are in touch with that love or in touch with God or really have a relationship with God and not just a religion over here, uh, if you don't have love, then really you're missing out on what is true 
in what is spiritual at the end of the day. It's one of the birthmarks of what it means to be and what it means to be a Christian and a follower of Christ. The Apostle John, we'll be looking at 1 John today, so be finding that in the back part of, the, of your New Testament. Uh, just We know about the Apostle John, you've heard of him. Uh, just to give you the background, his dad's name was Zebedee, he had a brother named James, and they were both chosen to be a part of the apostles, the disciples of Jesus. And as they went along, uh, John became what was known as the beloved. It was the top three kind of disciples, and John was one of the top. I mean, he was just really intimately connected with Christ. And he writes five of our New Testament books. And uh, he has probably the most broad genre of writing. He wrote uh, the prophetic book of Revelation on the Isle of Patmos while in prison. He wrote that last book of the Bible. But he also writes one of the first books of the New Testament, and that being the Gospel of John, a narrative, a historical narrative in the life of Christ. Uh, and then you have kind of back in the letters of the, of the New Testament, you find in there this three set letters, three sets of letters, or excuse me, three letters in a, in a set there, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, all tightly fit together, all very succinct, all very short. And the last two, 3 John and 2 John, were written to the elder of a church, all right? So really all we know, we don't know what church it was, but John was a very uh, compassionate individual, a man about love. I would say this, when you think of John and you compare him to the Apostle Paul, there's a difference. The Apostle Paul was to the unchurched what John was to the church. You think about the Apostle Paul, he was really that kind of evangelist, kind of missionary, kind of on the edge. We have three missionary journeys that he goes out. When you come to the Apostle John, you don't see that. You see him writing to the churches. Him not going, he's not necessarily going to the unchurched, he's writing to the churches. Seven different letters in the book of Revelation alone are written to the churches. These three letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, all written to the believers. Believed that he was in the city of Ephesus in modern-day Turkey, uh, on the shores of, uh, of the ocean there, and he was writing these letters. Now, we're going to be looking at 1 John today. Uh, now, if we're talking about love, as we are, and we're wrapping up this series on love, and I really intended and thought that I would probably land the last message in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13. You know, if you've read through 1 Corinthians 13, that's kind of the love chapter. There's a lot of people who will write these love verses in their valentines. There's a lot of people who will think about love and they'll get their definition from love. And rightfully so from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the most densely packaged of all the chapters of all the Bible on the topic of love. So read it for yourself. We're not going there today. If you want to read the most densely packaged book, letter if you will, in all the New Testament on the topic of love, maybe the entire Bible, you'll go to 1 John. From one chapter, from one end of the chapter to the next, he is constantly coming back to love. Forty-five different times in five chapters, he uses the word love. It's a major theme throughout the whole thing. In fact, I want to go, if, if the entire Bible is a love story of God, but you want the book that talks more about love than any other book, you're going to go to 1 John. And then if you want to go to the epicenter of the very center of it all where, where John deals more with love than in any other place, then you'll go to 1 John chapter 4 where we'll be today. 
And so let's look at 1 John chapter 4, and let's look at this epicenter in, in all of John's writings of this discourse on love, and let's read just a couple of verses just to lay that foundation out there. So, notice this, he said, beloved. He starts it off with love. In fact, you'll find this endearing statement throughout John's writings where he's constantly saying to the church, to the believers, beloved, beloved, beloved. He says it three different times in this one chapter alone. But we'll keep going. Verse 7, beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and, and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. You got it. Right there. I mean, you can't get any more emphatic about love, the origin of love, where love originates from and where it should be sought out. And listen to this. Where it should be, listen, codified, if you will, understood, set as the bar of understanding of what love is, than to go to the very source of it. In fact, I'll say this, because there's a lot of grumpy people in this world, and there's a lot of people in this world that have a hard time loving people in this world. That if you have a hard time in this topic of love, you're going to have a hard time relating with God. In fact, I want us to read together out of the message uh, how they paraphrase this verse. Let's read it together. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God, because God is love. If you don't love, if you don't have love, if you don't know how to love, then there is a disconnect between you and your relationship with God. Now, you think, okay, I, I've chosen to love a few people, but I don't love everyone. But we know from what we've been studying, loving our enemies, loving our neighbors, people we don't even know, the unnamed, the unknown, loving the world, that's, that's, that's the model, that's the standard. And so if we're really going to understand God, we're going to have to understand love. And if we understand love, we're going to have to understand how to love those around us. In this passage alone, he mentions, listen to this, 32 times in 17 verses, he mentions love. So we are truly, again, in the most densely packaged book of the Bible on love, in the most densely packed chapter in this book on love. So here we are, and as we look at this, I want us to kind of unpack it. But I want to go to the motivation first. Why should you, when love can be painful, when love can be sweet and sour, when love can be messy, when love can be not even reciprocated back at you, why should you love someone? Why would he write this? Why would he constantly say, love, love, if you don't love, you don't know God. In fact, you're out of touch with God if you don't love. Why would he say that? Because John realized something in this beloved disciple that he was. In this, he understood what love was, if anybody understood what love, uh, love was. He wrote it because of, in chapter 1, uh, verse 4, he said it like this. He said, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This entire book is about how God loves us and how we should be in a relationship with God and how we should be in a relationship with others in love. And why did he write it? So that our joy may be complete. And here, here's what I'm saying to you. Look up here very carefully. If you want joy in your life, you better learn to have love in your life. But learning is not enough. 
It is getting in touch and knowing and having a relationship with God Almighty through Jesus Christ. So that the love that He has, that is in you, if you're a follower of Christ, can be released out of you. Because in this world in which we live, there's a whole lot of hatred and there's a, there's a little bit of love and a whole lot of abusive love. We, and I'm putting the challenge out to the church today, and I'm just assuming, I'm going to whitewash this room today and say everyone in this room is a believer. And I know that that's not accurate. But I'm just going to say it today. We as the church are the source of love. And if we don't give it in this community, it ain't happening. Because God is love and He is the source of it. And otherwise what we have is a convoluted, self-seeking kind of love. I think back to 1965 when Jackie DeShannon wrote the song that said, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. That's what this world needs. That's what Northwest Arkansas needs. And I hope that we, you and I, are a church that gives that love, that understands what we just read in those two verses, that if I am a follower, I will love. If I am of God, I will love. Now, how do I love my community? What does this world need? What does this community need? As we're wrapping this series up, let me just say, this community needs certain things from us in love. Here's the number one thing. They need love initiated. This world isn't going to foster it up. It's not going to bubble up from, the, from, from within. This world needs love. We live in a world system where if you love me, I'll love you. But if you hurt me or you hate me, I'll hate you and hurt you back. What this world needs is a new paradigm. It needs the example of love initiated. And sometimes that means it won't even be reciprocated. Sometimes that means you will be left alone. You will be giving love but not be receiving love back. Hang on to that thought because we don't do well with that. We leave relationships because we don't feel love. We leave churches because we don't feel love. All right? But what we need to understand is it is our role to be loved, to show love, to be unconditional in our love. Love is proactive, not passive. Real love doesn't wait to be, to be kindled. Oh, if they will do this, then I will love them. No, real love comes through a spontaneous combustion inside of our own hearts and our own souls. Mike, where do you get that kind of imagery from? Because if God is in us, then love is in us. And if we are not loving our enemies, if we're not loving our mates, if we're not loving our children, if we're not loving our neighbors like we should, we're not allowing God to be God in us. Look at verse 9. We'll just keep reading on here. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Good summary of what God did and the Son did. But now verse 10. In this is love. Here's the proof of love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. It wasn't that, that the key phrase in this that really just kind of stum I stumble on and I just kind of get stuck on is the fact that it wasn't that I chose to love God. It was the fact that He chose to love me. 
is the fact that He initiated the love relationship with me. I didn't wake up one morning, and you may have did this today, but you, you didn't wake up one morning and say, hey, I think I'm going to go to church. I need to love God. Now, I promise you, there were circumstances in your life that either broke you down, that got you to a point, got you to a place in your life where you realized you couldn't do it on your own. You needed help. Or you sensed this love relationship. Or you got knowledge of God's love for you. And you started walking towards it. It wasn't that you and your own man-made wisdom woke up one day and said, I'm going to God. God initiates a love relationship with us. I think the best example of it is when I think about our mosaic ministry that really emerged out of our people already doing it. We had so many families in our church already adopting children. It was a beautiful thing. It was the whole Blackaby experience whenever you say, look at where God's moving and joining. It's like, okay, God, you're doing this. Let's just get in on it and let's, let's try to mobilize about it. We have over 20 families in our church that have either adopted foster care, that are foster approved, or that are in the, uh, have an open home, gone through the process, and are waiting or considering or praying through that whole option. I counted over 20 children, and this is, this is conservative, let me say, that have been embraced, that have been loved. But listen to this. I'm going I'm to be real crude when I say this. By people who didn't have to love them. They made a space at a table for them. They didn't have to. They made a space in a bed for them. They didn't have to. But there was something that was inside of them, and I'm going to blame it on God, because God is love, that said, listen, I've, I need to. They need to. They need to be loved. And I'm going to initiate that. I love the beauty of that. Because I think that that is the exact picture of what we see with Christ with you and me. When you go to Ephesians, you see it spelled out there. That He predestined us for adoption. He predestined you and I for the adoption. He wanted us to be His children. He initiated something with us. Let me just continue to go with other examples. Another example is what you see going on around the room today. I love it last week. We talked about loving the church and how we have a role in loving the church. We mentioned we had 200 ministry positions out there. Over 80 of them this week were responded to. Why, in one message, we give one appeal, and we say, listen, there's an opportunity for you to love a child who's never been loved. There's an opportunity for you to, to teach a Bible story to a child who may not hear. There's an opportunity for you to greet somebody when they first walk in the door of the church. What did you say? On Wednesday nights alone, we have over 150 teenagers that fill this room. And they're, they're, they've got to be loved. They need to be loved. They should be loved. There are some parents who drop off their kids and have no relationship with the church or with God. And you know what? We have a handful, a handful at best. We need more. And I hope, and I hope and I pray that you will understand that you can initiate a love relationship with an absolute stranger. That you can love them like Christ initiated a love relationship with you and I. We still have 114 positions. It's exciting to know that in one week we can fill so many. It's also daunting to realize that, hey, we need more people to step up and initiate and be a stranger, but embrace a neighbor in love. Think about it for yourself. We have a little phrase around here. As we go to our new building and our new expansion, we'll be going down to two services. And we have a phrase we've had around here for six years, and the phrase is this, 
Serve one, worship one. Everyone needs a place of ministry. Everyone needs a place of ministry. Serve one, but also worship one. Find a place where you can breathe in and breathe out. Inhale, exhale. Give and receive all in the same time. Find that place of ministry. Even if it's on Wednesday night, even if it's here on Sunday morning. In fact, in your worship guide today, if you've got one, open it up. There's a little tear-off sheet of paper in there. You can go ahead and tear it out. Everybody just want to hear the perforations just kind of fill the room. All right. Now, that's not to stick your old ABC gum, okay? Don't do that yet. Um, ah, all right, good. Everybody's listening good. All right, so here's what you're going to do. Throughout this message, maybe throughout the past week, you've been praying about a place that you can be love, show love, give love. Be love, show love, and give love. Be love, show love, and give love. Where is that place? It's time. It's decision time. And what we're going to do is we're just going to allow you to fill that out, pray that prayer in your own way, sign your name to it. And as an act of worship during our response time when Jared and the band come back up here, I just encourage you to just come lay it across the stage. Just lay it on the stage and let it be an act of, uh, of obedience and prayer. Why, why are we doing this? Why Isn't this just meaningless activity? No. We're letting you demonstrate initiating a love relationship with somebody today, with a neighbor. Just like Jesus initiated a relationship with us. I promise you this. If I'm lying, I'm dying. Alright? Listen. You will find the greatest refreshment and joy when you start giving and living a life towards others. When you just live for self, and pampering self, and taking care of self. Daniel Pink, one of my favorite writers, Yale graduate author, former presidential speech writer, said it like this, contrary to what we usually believe, the best moments in our lives are not the passive, deceptive, relaxing times. Although such experiences are enjoyable if we have worked hard to attain them. The best moments usually occur when a person's body and mind, or mind is stretched to the limits in a voluntary effort to accomplish something difficult and worthwhile. When you allow yourself to be stretched outside of your comfort zone, when you allow your, your mind, your body, your life, your ministry, your, your gifts to go out in, in outside, you will find that is the greatest blessed life. Listen, Jesus, God, He initiated a love relationship with us. We need to go into our community and we need to initiate love with others. Number two, what our community needs is it needs love imagined. There's a whole lot of confusion out there on what love is. I would say this, there's a deficit of what real love is. A deficit. Now there's a surplus of lust and, um, and affection. And lust and infatuation. There's a surplus of that. The, the movies, Hollywood can generate that inside of you. Abuse and neglect disguised in some kind of love form, in some kind of convoluted way. There's an abundance of that. But I would say there's a deficit of real love. We need to help this world, our Northwest Arkansas community, get a clear and accurate picture of what love is. 
what real love is. Now again, what is love? Love is God. God, God is love. He originates love. He exudes love. He is love, okay? But what we have in our world is a very limited perspective on what love is. It is your role and it is my role to help redefine the perspective and the reality of what real love is. Now let me, let me show you where, I, where I'm getting this from. Because it's the church's role to be love in the community, to demonstrate love in the community. Let me show this to you. Verse 12. So here's what it says. I want you to read the first, follow along as I read the first and the last phrases. No one has ever seen God. All right? That word seen is the word where we get our English word theater from. All right? This world would love to know who God is, would love to see God, would love to experience God. Uh, like like you would in a movie theater, if you will. I mean, that, that whole experiential moment. But no one's ever seen God. Now, there's been theophanies, yes, in, in the Scriptures, whenever they would see glimpses of God and expressions of God. But to really see God face to face, no one has ever seen God. God abides in us. And His love is perfected in us. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No one's seen God, but where is God? God abides in us. His love is perfected in us. So here's the deal. This world may never see God until Judgment Day unless they see God in you and I. Now how will they see God in you and I? The middle phrase. If we love one another. Guys, let us back away for a moment. And I know that love seems so abstract. But let us get really personal. and Let's think about this. How can I really in this world make an impact. Learn to love. Learn to walk across the room. Learn to forgive. Learn to be patient. Learn, learn to never give up on someone. That's the definitions of love in 1 Corinthians 13. Let us learn to be love in this world and to show love in this world to one another and let the world see God through us. Let them get a better picture of God through us. The problem is... Divorce rates are as high as in the church as they are in the community. That's a problem. We have a problem with our image of the God that we're expressing in the world. Churches start and over splits all the time, arguing over colors of carpet, things like that. Why? Because we're not getting along. Problems. We're expressing an image of God that's not accurate. Prayer meetings turn to gossip meetings. We have a problem with the image of God that we're expressing. We don't love one another because we're too busy loving ourselves the problem with the image of God that we're expressing. We don't even care about the unreached peoples of the world, even though God so loved the world. We have a problem with the image of God that we are expressing. So what does this world need? It needs to see God in a very clear way. Two ways. Jot it down. One, in a redemptive form. If you read through this passage of Scripture, you'll find a phrase in verse 14. It says, And we have seen... And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. That's a key phrase. It's, it's, it's kind of a unique phrase because in the first century, in classical paganism, Zeus was considered the Savior. Now again, you've got to kind of go back to the first century and put yourself in their skin, but they thought Zeus was the Savior of the world. And now they're saying this Jesus guy is the Savior of the world. And it's not just here, it's also in the pastoral letters. Paul mentions it multiple times there. 
Uh, he's called the Savior uh, four different times in Luke and Acts, and also in First in Peter, five different times there. So he's called the Savior of the world, the Savior of the world. What, what am I saying? Why do we go around the world? Why do we? Why are we sending teams in the next few, for the next three months? We're sending two teams to New York City to work with inner city and also to work with West Africans that are that are some many of them illegal in the in the country to help get the gospel to them. Why, why are we sending a team to Peru? Why are we sending a team to Southeast Arkansas? Why, why are we sending a team to, to West Africa countries that we've been going to for years and, and living in, in, in huts and all that? Why do we do all that? Is it because we like adventure? Maybe. Is it because we like, we like to get out, out, out of our comfort zone? Maybe. No, the real reason is because there's a redemptive message. It's got to get to the very ends of the earth. He's the Savior of the world. He's redeeming the world, and we've got to get that out there. That's how we express and show God's love. We've got to help the, the world see that. Also, the, God is relational. God is a relational God, not a distant God. Notice this word that is in the book of John 13 different times. Abides, abides, abides. Verse 13 says it like this. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us. How do we know this? Because He's given us of His Spirit. His Spirit is living inside every believer. We have a relationship with God. Why should I love? Why should I love the world? How can I love my neighbor and my enemy? Because the Spirit of God is in me. Now whether I'm going to let that love out is a different thing. Whether I'm going to let that come out of me, that's, that's a completely different story. God is redemptive. God is relational. And when we get to paint that picture that God will take the brokenness of this world, the, the redemption, and the redeem it, excuse me. He'll take the brokenness of this world and redeem it. And then He'll move inside and make Himself at home. That's what the word abide means. To make residence, to live with, to be joined to. God wants to join Himself in a love relationship. I think of the story of a little boy who was going, finally talked his parents into getting him a dog, a little puppy. The parents didn't want one. He wanted one. Kept going on and on. Finally, they agreed, okay, you can have a dog. You're going to have to pay for it, though. And so he started saving his money. He's back. He didn't wait very long before he saw a little man, or he saw a man with some little puppies at a, at a store and out in the parking lot. You see it even around here. And they were in cages. And those little puppies were just jumping around and jumping all over each other. And he saw them. And he said, There's, here's my chance. And so he got on his little bike and he rode to the store and, and he asked the man if he could buy a puppy. Oh, by the way, he got his $2.50 that he had saved in his bank back home. He said he wanted to buy a puppy and the guy said they're $25. The boy just kind of sunk there for a moment. And so he said, well, can I play with them for free? He said, yeah, you can play with them. He said, but I need $25. And so he sat there and played with them and played with them, played with them, played with them. And he could see that the kid loved the dogs, wanted the dogs, but he didn't have $25. He said, I'll make you a deal. He said, if you'll give me $250, i will give you one of my dogs. He said, great. He said, is this all the dogs? Can I pick any of these dogs? He said, yes. He said, there's another dog. This is the run of the litter. He came out with a broken leg, and it, it, and it will never be fixed. But I've got it in the cab of the truck. You don't want it. I'm keeping it because nobody's going to want that dog. And the little boy says, can I see that dog? And he said, really? I said, got it out, gave it to him. He watched him play, watched him wobble along. Watch the other dogs jump on top of him, all that kind of stuff. And he said, I want that dog. 
no, you don't want that dog. You'll be having to take extra care of that dog for the rest of your life. He said, no, I want that dog. He said, why? And he reached down and he pulled up his pant leg and he saw that this boy was had a brace on his leg. He said, I'm broken just like he's broken. I need extra love just like he needs extra love. And you know what? Here's the beauty of the love of God inside of every one of us is that we are broken people. But God loved us and embraced us and put Himself inside of us and redeemed the brokenness of our life. And here's what He enables us to do. To love broken people. When you love, it will be messy. It will be painful. It will not always be clean cut. And it will not always be reciprocated. But it is right. And it is good. And it is noble. Love because you've been loved. Love redemptively. Love in relationship. Number three, and I'm finished. If you look at this, you look at community. You look at what our community needs. We, the church, need to initiate love. We, the church, need to give a new image, an understanding of what love really is. It's redemptive. It's relational. Just like Jesus was with us, so we should be with others. But it's also authenticated. What I mean by that? There's a lot of fake expressions of love out there. And sometimes when you're in one of those fake expressions of love, you tend to get hurt really bad. Betrayed. Broken promises, broken trust. People who are supposed to be safe become dangerous. And that's a really, that's a really sad situation. But real love, and what happens whenever that happens, is fear moves in, and fear keeps you from loving. Look at verse 18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. When you think about all the things of this world that you can fear, in fact, by the way, this word fear in the Greek is phobos. The word phobos is where we get our word phobia from. There are so many phobias in this world, I couldn't list them all. All right? There are so many. There, the list runs on and on and on. There's the fear of taking a bath. There's the fear of spiders. Those are maybe some legitimate fears there. Not the bathroom, but the spider ones. Noises, uh, height, all this kind of stuff. There are all kinds of fears out there. But there's a fear that I found on this list that kind of surprised me. It's called the phileophobia. Phileo comes from the Greek word love. Phileophobia. It's the fear of being loved. It's the fear of giving love. And here is the beauty of Christ in you. When you allow love to come out of you, broken promises, hurts and pains, what happens? Love pushes fear out. Love pushes that protectiveness out. Love pushes that pain out. And that is what we, as followers of Christ, offer this world that this world doesn't offer this world. We offer a perfect love that casts all fear out. In fact, I'll say this. As a follower of Christ, it is your birthmark 
to Lot. First, or John chapter 13 says it like this. A new commandment I give you. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So whatever standard in which God loves, we need to love. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. As followers of Christ today, if you are a follower of Christ, if you're not in a relationship with Jesus, the most important thing today is to experience His love. And as you experience His love, His grace, His forgiveness, His redemption, His relationship that He wants to establish with you, now you get to reciprocate that and give that to the world. And to give that to your enemies. And to give that to complete strangers who walk in off the street. I know this is a stretch. I know that challenging you to think about ministries inside this church, maybe outside of your comfort zone, outside of your demands on time, I want to challenge you to find a ministry around this room. And take this little card right now and fill it out. If you feel led during our service, just come up and lay it across the stage. You may want to come and pray. Say, God, I'm scared to death about showing love, but I want to. I need to. I must. Let's pray together. God, You are love. You loved us. You've called us to love others. And that is a big stretch. Because we may not be loved back. We may be hurt in our love. A perfect love cast out fear. Help us to initiate. Help us to be the image bearers of what love is in our world, in our church, in our community. Lord, right now, we pray that you would help us to understand and to go deeper as we serve our community and our church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us? Would you sing with the band? If you feel led to come and lay this at the table, at the altar, feel free to do that. This is your time.